Hey everybody, welcome to the Flip Connect Show. This is Corey Harrington, your host. And today I am going to be talking about 2009 to 2011. No, 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 no. 2009 to 2015. There's, there's a series. There's going to be three or four episodes that will talk about starting up your first real estate investment business as a professional shop. Um, everything I went through during that period of time, during that, that, that critical moment, um, although I was in business since 2003, investing in real estate, uh, active real estate, didn't start until about 2006, 2007 time frame. Uh, that's when we really started going. I didn't start making money in terms of you know buying and selling a property quickly for profit until 2008. Okay, so these other properties I was making money on, I was building equity, I was getting some cash flow, but I, you know, it wasn't enough to pay the bills by far. So I'm going to talk to you about uh, all those years. So in general, I'm going to go over them in the next couple of minutes and cover, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15. And obviously right now it is 2021. But I'm going to cover those years as those were my first seven years in business, fully in business, 100% with no other source of meaningful income. I'll also talk about my unmeaningful income that I did receive when I was jumping around acting as serial entrepreneur and trying this, that, and everything else in between while keeping my real estate investment business as a full-time paid fallback uh, not fallback but you know that that's that that's my primary primary income and um, everything else was would be great would be add-ons would be great if those are successful but not necessary to live day to day so you know I was branching out a little too early but I was branching out uh, as is my nature so 2008 as you know was the year that I bought into a franchise, started a business, moved to Texas, became a professional real estate investor, talked about the pros and cons of that, talked about franchising, talked about early partnerships, talked about struggles, talked about successes to some degree. I don't really talk a lot about the successes, not because I haven't had success. I've had great success. I've had failures too, and I think it's much more important to focus on those failures as learning points than it is to revel in successes and show you just how easy it is. I want to show you how it really is. So we're, we're going we're gonna to go through this and, you know, I'm here with you from beginning to end. You know, if you want to be a real estate investor and you want to follow the path that I had and you want to follow me in my future as I go forward with different, um, you know, different ideas in business and real estate business, then uh, please keep listening on. So... 2009 partnerships I had originally I had two partners and my company United Real Estate Ventures that was kind of our foray into this this you know going into this full time and taking the leap and that's where I, I took my leap partnership um, and eventually was bought out on one partner the other partner uh, voluntarily we just mutually agreed uh, I'm moving to Texas I'm starting this franchise I'm putting in all this additional capital he's not bringing anything else to the table or additional funding but he will 
contribute on any property that I do buy, he would gladly 50-50 partner with me on, on upcoming business. He would put in the money. I would put in all the experience, time, effort, energy, plus my own advertising budget of which I'd get reimbursed. He would get all his money reimbursed. We would split the proceeds 50-50. We did quite a few deals that way. Most all of them worked out. Some did not. And that was uh, basically um, the partnership er er you know, area. I will, uh, I'll probably do a workshop in detail about partnerships and go over all of my partnerships. Probably should change everything to fictional names. I don't want to you know, cause any problems. There, there were no, there were just misalignments of interest on partners that did not stay the course. Um, others I've had intermittent business with, you know, we'll do a few deals and uh, a couple years later, we'll do another few deals, you know, that kind of thing. But hopefully those will go on for life. And those are great partnerships. They're, they're not full-time partnerships. They're, they're joint ventures. They're opportunities to, to come together on properties that the numbers make sense for both of us. And then there's, you know, there's, there's partnerships that were just destined to fail. They were just a bad relationship. It was, it was more or less a, a disagreement in how to run things than it was anything else. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll talk about those too. But in general, 2009 was the year of the partnership. Uh, I partnered with two new guys. I will go into that in depth in the next episode. That would be episode 16, so look forward to that one. And uh, 2010 would be the era of, you know, house hopping. I guess you want to, if you want to call it that, house hopping. I would buy a house, fix it up, hop to the next one, fix it up, hop to the next one. Now, these ones that were mostly livable and in pretty good shape, we're talking about you know, redoing the kitchen, redoing the bathroom, doing some paint, not total repair or foundations or major plumbing, electrical issues. These, all these houses were immediately move-in ready and those opportunities were not specifically part of my business plan. Had I had more partners besides my wife, my wife has always been, you know, my true 50-50 partner in this all the way through, even with our other partnerships. You know, she's, she's always had half of my interest. I've had half of her interest. We both had 100% of each other's back and trust and everything else. Um, but she, uh, yeah, we would, um, if, if it wasn't just us as partners, we would certainly have bought these outside of the business. But since we weren't, uh, we buy these inside the business and, um, the, and then we rent them from our business, um, you know, through our, through our, uh, um, through our own private, um, income that we earn from the business. So, you know, that, that would be one house, um, in a given year, say we do 30 houses that year, we would buy one house or slightly less than one house of our own. I think we moved, I want to say every other year, a little bit sooner than that, maybe every 18 months or so we would, uh, we would move and we wouldn't, you know, it wasn't for tax reasons. We didn't receive any benefit on that end. Uh, we, like I said, we would rent it out from our company. It was more or less, it was time to move on. And we sold that house when we profited. And then, you know, we went to the next house and then, um, that one's a little bit nicer. We can put a little bit more money into it. Uh, it met more of our needs and on and on and on. So 2010 would be the year of, you know, 
house hopping. It will be the start of house hopping. I do, at that time, I don't want to give away what goes on in, in episode 16, so I'll, I'll uh, you know, omit anything that's, that's due to partnerships, but there certainly were partnership conversations and new, new things that come up. With uh, the other side of that, joint ventures, individuals, uh, so I take my former partner, Omar, and we partnered on a few deals uh, where we would buy, renovate, and sell the property, and uh, that, that turned into, gosh, I don't know at this point, but maybe 15 or so, 15, maybe 20 houses over the course of a year, year and a half. And I also partnered with my other former partner, Glenn, uh, the guy that owned the Sunroom Company on a property um, in, uh, in Alamo Heights area, which is a really nice area. And um, I'll go over that case study too. That, that's, uh, that's an interesting property. Um, we broke even and kind of walked away from that one. But we also had very little, very, very little money in the deal. So um, we'll go over that. And then, you know, we'll talk about how that, how that played in the relationship. What were the feelings the partner has? You know, the, 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 the limited partner and, and the, uh, you know, and the, and the full partner. Uh, the relationships between who has control, who is the, um, you know, who, who runs the show, who makes all the decisions, and then the limited partner who's putting in money and hoping that these decisions that the uh, general partner makes are sound. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress, a lot of sense of responsibility uh, that, that I have always in these partnerships and they don't always go the way we hope and how do you deal with that you know how do you how do you maintain or 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 even rebuild or or continue or make that business that partnership flourish you know the first deal may have worked great uh the next deal may have worked okay and then the third deal may have worked not as great or it may have lost money and if you look at that trend, it goes from good, bad, worse. But that's the nature of deals. You're doing three deals versus 30 deals. If you look at all 30 deals that you do, let's say you do 30 deals instead of three, 10 times the amount, how many of those are going to be good? How many of those are going to be bad? How many of those are going to be eh, okay, break even a little bit more, call it a rental, make a couple hundred bucks a month in perpetuity and, and you know, when, when the uh, appreciation gets high enough and it makes sense for everybody you exit and profit. Uh, but it's not, it's not paying your bills right now. And that, maybe that was your objective. So you got to look at the objective of partnerships. What are each individual partner trying to accomplish? Are you in line? And we'll, we'll, go, we'll go over a lot of that. And my experience is up to this point, uh, as in 2021. So look forward to that. That's going to be, uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, I think that probably be a breakout. 2012. 2012, right around that time, time I bought um, my big house, my mansion, my mini mansion anyway. It was 4,000 square foot, all brick, beautiful construction. The cost of construction, if you're, you know, replacing it is, is you know, easily $800,000. It's a really nice place. Um, I bought it for at that time what was considered pretty close to retail which was for I think 420 420,000 and um, so I tried I, I tried creative financing this is really this I guess this would be the year maybe 
for creative financing or somewhere in this time frame is where I started getting involved with that. So creative financing, what is it? There's a lot of different aspects and I'll go into creative financing and definitions of all this and there's plenty of YouTube videos out there about that stuff. I really just want to focus on the experience, on the actual real experience, how I felt, what I went through. Is this a comparison to you? Can you learn from this? This is relevant. This is what I'm hoping for is, is to give you insight, give you my experience, and hopefully you come away with, with a, um, you know, a, 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 good, a good sense of, of what to expect. So in the um, partnership, okay, to 12, okay, creative financing. Okay, so with this particular deal, I was trying to recall what I was saying a moment ago. Creative financing, what I did with this, and bear in mind, guys, I'm driving in rush hour traffic, and uh, I'm just trying to stay focused here. So if I if I drift a little bit, again, I should probably stop apologizing for myself. It is what it is, but uh, I'm driving. Anyway, I'm safe. I'm not texting. I'm not looking at a camera. I'm not doing any of that. I am just uh, talking to a microphone. I have headphones on, and I probably look ridiculous. Uh, to the drivers next to me, but uh, so be it. The creative financing strategy I used was owner financing. So uh, the person that owned the house, the couple that owned the house, owned it free and clear. Their sister lived next door, uh, right next door in a really nice house as well, and she was going to sell her house eventually the year after, and they were going to both try to look to find houses near each other again. That were smaller. They're downsizing. They're, you know, it's a big house. There's a lot of house there. Um, in addition to the house being 4,000 square feet, it had a three-car garage. It had a, 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 an additional office um, in the back of the garage. You know, two extra rooms and a kitchen in the back of the garage, as well as you know, very large three bedrooms, a walk-in closet that's larger than most bedrooms. It was probably 14 by. 12 um, and then uh, you know very large um, master bedroom that expanded you know half of the house on the back side it was at least 1200 square feet and you know we had two bathrooms in that bedroom we had you know large shower uh, massage um, hot tub deal and uh, all that, all these other things. So it's really, really a nice place. Nice big pool in the backyard. Tons of oak trees everywhere. Just beautiful. And a beautiful neighborhood as well. And uh, it was a great house. That's Texas money. That house in California, same time frame. You're looking at maybe one and a half million. So, you know, I was doing pretty decently. It's a couple years in, starting from zero income to, you know, a very large house. Uh, I w made a great deal with with them as well on the interest rate. So what I ended up doing is trading him one of my properties in Magnolia, Texas, outright that I owned free and clear. Um, that was the least valuable, long term, least least uh, it fit my criteria the least of all my properties. It was a it was um, something that was far away. It was something that was, uh, you know, less than ideal in terms of structure. It was a, a, a modular home, um, and but the land I, I owned the land and the home, so you know it was a but it was still modular. 
And uh, yeah, so I was making some good rent on it. I didn't owe much on it. I think I bought it for seventy thousand and seventy-one thousand, and I was making about sixteen or seventeen hundred dollars a month on it. Uh, I owned it free and clear. I paid cash for it back in uh, two thousand six, I think. Um, this may have been one of the properties I talked about earlier in the uh, podcast. I'm sure it is. Traded them that straight out with a value we estimated at, uh, I think maybe sixty-five thousand. It was worth probably about eighty-five thousand. And then, of course, if you're doing it on a rent basis, you can look at the cap rates. But it was worth every penny more. He got a great deal on that. I also gave him my full interest in a property that I had a loan on um, through a hard money lender. And so we went through the, through the lender and got approval to uh, hand the property to him and you know, qualify him and take over the note. Um, and then he eventually, within a year, paid it off. Uh, but that property had a substantial amount of equity in it. I bought it, renovated it. It's a nice part of town in Cibolo. Um, I don't recall what I bought it for. I think I, I want to say I had maybe maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars in equity in it. Uh, plus, they had there was tenants in place that I put in place um, that were renting with an option to own, and we set up a separate escrow account for that purpose. And uh, you know they they set a little money aside, which is always their money. They can get the money back any time and change. But that was a guaranteed deal. I think I want to say for like 125 and granted these houses now are probably worth over 300,000 easy but uh, but anyway that so he had that in place so that was a good good position to be in the high interest rate for him uh, he, he had the ability to uh, refinance it or pay it off cash whatever his strategy was so that was a non-issue for me you know I, I, I couldn't get much better than uh, than hard money at that time and so that's what um, in terms of interest rates I couldn't I couldn't do much better than, than 12% I think I was paying 14% on that one but you know he, he was able to refight and get about 5% this granted remember this is this is 2011 2012 uh, so I traded him two houses bottom line as my down payment bringing my total payment down to 380 and change and the first house I gave him was my was my initial down payment, and the deal was done. The second house I gave him was to further reduce the principal, and also get my interest rate from four percent to three point four percent, which at the time was far better than the going interest rate. Um, I, I want to say the interest rates were like five, four, five, something like that back then. So this 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 was better. The deal um, turned out really well initially, and I had the property for eight years, and you know it was it was a it was a good deal, and I was happy with the property. Um, I at that point I probably had five properties that I lived in, four maybe four properties that I lived in. Let me think: one, two, three, four. Yeah, four properties. So five, if you include my townhouse rental that I had just for a short period of time at the beginning. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I had uh, I had five different houses, this being the fifth um, that we moved from in those few years. So we were moving more than once a year. 
at that point in time. And then we stayed here for seven years uh, at, at the Marymount house. And so that was, that was really nice, uh, you know, good opportunity for me. And I could t- I'll talk to you about that deal and how I put that deal together in my mindset while I was putting the deal. I almost walked away from the deal. It just didn't fit our criteria because the house was so nice and much further than our price point that we target. So I was getting ready to kind of walk away from it. Um, but I'll go through all of that in another episode. Um, I'll talk about that at some point in time. If someone would remind me to do that, I will uh, do a recording of that. But after after this series is done that I'm doing right now. 2013, more of the same, creative financing. I was doing a lot of that, a lot of different strategies in creative financing. Um, I worked with an attorney closely to structure everything and put, put it together in packages that's, that's workable. I actually created an uh, audio book and training um, on that and trained multiple clients from that um, for a period of time thereafter. Uh, once we got that, that all tied down and um, I had an audio book that was co-authored by myself and the attorney. So that turned out to be pretty, pretty good. This attorney has been around forever. He's now since retired, but um, he specialized in and certain strategies and uh, from the legal standpoint in real estate. And I uh, just followed the strategy. And then I monetized it by teaching others how to do it. Um, and, you know, that was a rewarding thing. I made a couple bucks, but I also was able to make good connections. And, and that one of my long-term current partnerships right now, Joint Ventures, we do not have any active deals together, but one of those individuals came from that. He, he, um, I gave him the I gave him the program for free. Um, I sold him several properties. He sold me one property that turned out to be really a really good deal, um, and we continue to do business. Um, and hopefully, we'll continue to do business in the future. So that turned out to be a really good relationship. Uh, so I met him through creative financing. So I was doing a lot of hard money construction loans as well. I was doing partnerships with joint venture with other people where we uh, do a 50-50 deal. Um, sometimes the numbers are different. Uh, I'd always get my expenses reimbursed. They would get their expenses reimbursed first. I would get my advertising and other expenses reimbursed first. Um, from Typically from the initial buy-in with a partner. So there's, there's skin in the game. Um, they would receive the money that they invested for the acquisition of the property, the carry cost, and the construction cost. Um, everything that they had to put out of pocket, they would receive uh, back first. You know, it's first in, first out cash. So they receive that back first. You know, at the at the time of sale, whatever remained, we would split 50-50. At that point, I'd have zero in the deal. I'd be in the money on the deal for the first couple of weeks. When it's sold, I get I get out of the. My money would be out in terms of the amount of money I spent for marketing that doesn't necessarily include all possible expenses, but it includes the mass majority of, of my costs. And that, that gets, you know, that gets me recouped. And then I'll turn it, go ahead and turn around and, and reinvest that uh, money back into advertising, find another deal. Um, all of these deals are direct from the owner of the property, not from agents. Uh, anyone can, can get an agent deal by picking up the phone I look for opportunities where the seller wants to sell directly to me and is um, okay with selling the property as is and is willing to um, accept a, a fast, reasonable cash offer in exchange for a, a 
a, a quick sale, quick painless sale. And so, you know, it has to make sense on both sides. So I was doing a lot of that. I was doing some wholesaling. I was, I was buying a property and turning around and selling it, buying a property, doing foundation, electrical, just the basics, and then put it on the market and sell it to an end user that would want to buy it and finish it off themselves with sweat equity, a house that would qualify for a regular loan. I did those kind of strategies. Um, I've done some of the just the traditional sales. You know, we had uh, people that didn't want to buy or didn't want to sell property to us, but wanted to buy another property after their house had sold. Also, most of the time they would sell a house to us and then we would find them a new property and uh, provide them as much benefit as they can receive. Uh, being a buyer, they, they don't pay for, uh, for the agent, but you know, we try to work it in a way that you know we're providing as much um, attention to them, as much negotiation skill that we can possibly bring to the table to get the best deal for them. You know, we go the extra mile, we really do, to to get them that value, and so that makes a great opportunity for both of us in that situation on the on the buy and the sell side. Um, so that that's that was a good strategy, and um, that yeah, that was pretty much it. So we're just uh, chugging along, thirteen. Uh, 2014, chugging along, kind of doing more of the same. Um, I, I opened up opportunities for people to um, buy investing, uh, buy marketing from us directly. Um, we would use our marketing campaign and set it. We had our own, uh, we still do have our own um, auto rotation, you know, call center that will. Um, you know, isolate each each phone line we have based on each specific marketing campaign. So, if uh, if someone wants to come in and participate in marketing, and there's two um, two people that are participating in the same marketing campaign, they each would get a call. So the phone would dial, or the email would come in, or however they received the communication. Or we also had our own. Um, answering service. We we still do have our own answering service. I just don't actively offer this, um, but uh, so all our systems are still set up because we use it for ourselves. But the you know the answering service would would book the appointment. Um, we would call in. Uh, Angel would call in from the office and qualify the calls, make sure it's vetted, and because she knows exactly what she's doing. She's been in this business as long as I have, and um, she'll make sense of that opportunity and see if this is if this is a good fit and most of the time it is sometimes it's not depending on what they're selling or you know maybe a relative or or a a divorce you know if they're going through a divorce or they're already divorced and this other person doesn't have the right to sell you know conflicts like that arise and we'll 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 put the brakes on and see what we need to do we may need to take further steps before the appointment but we always try to consult so we bring that to the table. We bring our expertise to the table on that end. And uh, so I was selling and so on and so forth. I'll, I'll go into that business model later on but in another episode. But um, I was selling marketing um, for the business. I We started um, in 2015. We started protesting taxes for ourselves. Eventually we ended up protesting taxes for the people. And we have a small business for that as well. Um, but you know, we started getting a little more sophisticated with our strategy, focusing on the taxation, focusing on on, their, on all those all those things we can do to maximize our returns. 
So that was that was 15. And I guess that's it. So I went through years 2009 through 15. That was the second year through uh, second year through the seventh year, right? Because 2015, 16, five, six years, not six years. Uh, no, that's uh, I think that's seven years if you count it out. 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, yeah, so seven years. Went through seven years of our experience in real estate. Um, listen up to the next, to the following episodes. We're going to go over each individual year in greater detail. If you found any of this interesting in this one, then just you know jump to the next episode that uh, corresponds with the year. Okay, this was Corey Harrington with Flip Connect Show. Look forward to hearing from you next time.